On this morning's show, we are joined by Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. Good morning, Barry. Oh, sorry, I should say good, good evening. Good morning, Nitin. <laughs> and uh, by Chari Chanana, market strategist at Saxo. Good morning, Chari. Good morning. Uh, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Uh, how are you doing? Happy hump day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's also Valentine's Day, so I just wish you a happy Valentine's Day too. <laughs> okay, so... We had some very strong CPI numbers last night, um, and that's actually followed, been following what has been quite strong economic data. Yet the markets are still betting on a rate cut in May. So are they being deluded, or is there really a chance of cuts as soon as that? I'll start with you, Barry. Well, I think that uh, no one has any clue at all. <laughs> uh, yes, what you said is correct, but my goodness, all of a sudden, we have reached the stage where there's no consensus. And some are even saying that the United States is headed for a recession. Others say, oh, Mo, look at that CPI number. That means that uh, rates might even rise. So I think that uh, we're in a muddle. And that is a muddle that hasn't been seen at least in a couple months. That's my take. And Cherry? I think I would agree with that. You know, so far, the confusion around the U.S. economy really was that uh, whether we will get a recession or not. Uh, I think uh, as far as inflation is concerned, there was a broad consensus around the fact that we are in this disinflation um, mode right now. But even that has been disrupted um, now with this uh, print that we got yesterday, right? Uh, so certainly it does look like, uh, you know, none of the models that we have right now can accurately predict where this economy is going. It is certainly a very different cycle from what we've seen in the past uh, with the kind of lags uh, to monetary policy that we're seeing this time around. Uh, but on your question on whether we, whether or not we get a May rate cut, so certainly March looks like out of question right now after that NFP print and then Fed pushing back on that as well. And now this um, CPI jump higher as well. Um, I, I would think, you know, I mean, yeah, again, a lot of uncertainties. We need to watch the data into May. But um, with this kind of inflation, we could possibly see consumer confidence taking a hit. And that can bring in a recession faster than expected. And you wouldn't want to you know, have a Fed, uh, you know, cutting rates too close to that U.S. election in November. So I, I would still think that uh, given all the uncertainties, May or June is still very much on the table. So, Barry, um, Cherry just talked a little bit about the NFP numbers and you're on the ground. From afar, you hear of certain companies laying off or uh, uh, workers. But then when you take the number, the economic, I mean, the employment numbers, they seem to be very, very strong. So what is actually yes. the story over there? Yes. No, that is correct. Look, the information coming out of the White House and, in fact, the data itself would suggest a strong economy. Unemployment at a 35-year low, inflation clearly on a downtrend. Consumer confidence is not at its highest level, but it's, it's fine. The Christmas buying season was fine. It was good. The economy is growing at maybe 25 to 3% annual rate. So why would anyone be seeing a recession ahead? And yet, there are some signs, Nitin, that would suggest that may be the case. For example, all the money that was in the economy from the government stimulus from the COVID period has probably now been spent. 
and the bills for the Christmas season are coming due. And you see that car loans are not only at a high rate, but car sales are sagging. So there's some growing evidence or perhaps just incipient evidence that the consumer is tapped out, that he's really spent all he has. Now, on the other hand, all the things that you and I have just said about the economy being strong hold true. I just think that um, you saw a very strong market reaction on Tuesday, and we don't know where this is headed. I think the evidence is, just as Cherry said, just as you suggested, no rate cut coming in March, but we know the Fed wants to cut rates. They'll probably do it in May or June, but they'll be data dependent. And Cherry, um, what are you seeing in terms of the numbers? I know you're maybe not quite on the ground in the US, but you know, you're very much on the ball. So what are you seeing within those numbers? I mean, if you're talking about uh, those employment numbers, uh, again, I think I would stick to the point that I made earlier that the cycle is very different. I think the, the one key difference uh, in terms of what, what's happening in the labor market, from my perspective, is really this demand for AI skill sets in your labor force, right? So I think a lot of companies are still adapting to that to be able to prepare for the future. So while we do see a lot of those layoff announcements, uh, the number of uh, open job positions is still more than the number of people looking for jobs. So I would think this is a readjustment in the skill set in the labor markets. Um, uh, so uh, I think, again, you know, it's hard to say whether uh, the, these layoffs uh, will continue or not. I do see... Uh, the fact that uh, the consumer is getting stretched, um, the, the companies are losing pricing power as inflation is going down. So that is going to impact their profit margins as well. Uh, and all the signs continue to point to the fact that the economy is going to get weaker from here. Now, whether or not, again, we get a recession or not, is, I mean, it, it's been pushed forward so much that it's hard to put a timeline on that now. Uh, but again, coming back to the same point, whether or not the labor market weakens at the same pace as it has weakened in previous cycles, uh, there is still a probability, a high probability that we will get to see rate cuts uh, by the middle of this year. Okay. I mean, talking about that, the general consensus has been wrong probably pretty much for the last yes, year. Yes, it has. Um, so are we, you know, are, is the general consensus going to be wrong again? I mean, are we being optimistic? Are we, is this really just because we want rates cuts to happen? I mean, or, I mean, as Shari said earlier, there are some people who might even, who are predicting maybe there might even be rate rises. So is yeah. the general consensus wrong? Yeah. Look, no consensus, Nitin. I think that's the message. <laughs> that's the, that's and I'll bet, Shari, would you agree? <laughs> harder now for the Fed to cut early and interest rates are likely to remain higher for longer. Sorry? I would think that is the case, yeah. I mean, you know, there is a scope for that. But like you said earlier, Barry, it is all about, you know, being dependent on data. And if this kind of an inflation print starts to show up in growth numbers as well, you know, like I said, the confidence has been holding up uh, well in the U.S. economy because inflation has been deaccelerating so quickly. But if it stabilizes or even rises from here, will the confidence continue to hold up? And uh, consumers that have already run out of savings, will they continue to spend the way they've been spending because prices were going uh, or easing out a little bit? 
so I mean, I would say that uh, again, my uh, it's hard to really get to a consensus or a very strong view at this point because data is all over the place. But my bias still is that the economy is going to weaken from here, and that will prompt uh, uh, rate cuts uh, as well. So then. As Shari mentioned earlier, I mean, tech seems to be very much focused. AI workers is what people need. And if you look at the markets now, you've got the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven um, actually holding huge weightings. Um, Barry, you're a bit of a, you've studied markets and the way different I mean, companies change in terms of market weightings. Is this now peak for the technology uh, weightings? Are, are we at the peak for the Magnificent Seven? Or can this run for longer? Oh, boy. I don't think that question has an answer, Nitin. I really don't. <laughs> it seems to me that the tech sector looks pretty good. And uh, what Cherry was saying and what you were saying also about AI and the sort of race that's underway in the Silicon Valley, it's, I think, less over finding enough workers and more just the competitive juices that separate a Microsoft an Apple, a Meta, and an Alphabet. I mean, this is powerful stuff. But as to the U.S. economy and the Magnificent Seven or just dominant firms, you know, the Americans are in the driver's seat. Something like 16 out of 20 of the world's biggest companies now are U.S.-based. Most of them are technology, but they also extend into Visa and Walmart and Home Depot and and, and even, uh, uh, well, some of the, the consumers, certainly J.P. Morgan, the bank. So, no, I don't think the American run is over, but anything can happen. And don't forget, we're in a very crazy political world here in the States. You know, Joe Biden, there's mm -hmm. articles every day about his infirmity, his perceived infirmity. Donald Trump, there's an article every day, every hour about his stupid, mm -hmm. foolish statements. So this is a funny farm in many respects. Yeah. <laughs> and Sherry, what about you? Do you think, you know, the Magnificent Seven's here to stay or will things change? <laughs> I mean, uh, I would say that, of course, the sentiment is quite stretched um, on those um, you know, top, uh, the leaders of the index. Uh, so the big question is whether they can continue to deliver on those stretched expectations or not. Um, I think uh, certainly, as Barry says, there are reasons to believe that uh, with this um, growth of AI and uh, with potentially the Fed cycle shifting as well, uh, there could be room for these companies to continue to deliver, but I will see some divergence, you know, something like Meta has been doing much better than the Tesla. I, I think Tesla may be very close to getting out of that magnificent seven uh, space right now. So um, I, I do think that, again, this whole AI development could bring a lot more divergence within the magnificent seven space. And before we really get to that Fed rate cut cycle, uh, a probably a slower economy could also uh, start to show some impact on the performance of these stocks. Um, but, Barry, you mentioned 16 of the top 20 companies now in the US. I think in the late 80s, it was probably Japan. Late <laughs> yes. 90s, it was another country. <laughs> so in 10 years, what country is going to be leading? Is it still going to be the US or will it be somewhere you know, else? That's, that's a tough question, again, I, I think know. But, you know. Uh, yes, right. Impossible question to answer. But look at look at China. You know, it's very clear that um, 
The president of China does not want a company being as powerful as the Communist Party. I mean, that's obvious. So you've seen Baba, Alibaba and Tencent fade in terms of their market capitalization over the last three years. So will it be, as we predicted, say, three years ago, that China would dominate everything? Well, maybe, but maybe not. Will the Americans, who are laden with debt that we've never seen before, even during the Second World War, continue to be the dominant player, given our political debate and, and our division on the body politic? Who can say? One thing you can say, Nitin, the Europeans seem nowhere to be found. Okay. I think that's a fair statement. And Chari, we've only got about 10 seconds, so if, um, what about your thoughts? Um, maybe India might be the emergence in the next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a clear uh, contender there. Um, there's a lot of good growth stories in India, you know, supported by structural factors like demographics, like digitalization, but also just because of the the sheer shifting in supply chains that we're seeing globally. Um, uh, but again, you know, these emerging markets come with their own set of risks and it's very hard to extrapolate the last five years performance to the next five years because just one change in government can kind of bring a drastic change in policies. Um, so, yeah, certainly a hard one to answer, but I would think yeah, that uh, India remains a one contender for that spot. All right. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Um, so that was Barry Wood and Cherry Chanana. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Uh, still to come, In Your Money, Carolyn Wright asks Liam Thomas, country head at Sleek, if the Year of the Dragon is an auspicious one in which we to set up or change your business. And then Singapore-based author and financial commentator Michael Sweetow will be bringing us a view from Singapore. In terms of the markets, quick look there. Um, the S&P ASX 200 is currently down 99 points at 7,502. The Nikkei is down 249 points at 37,714. And the Kospi is down 38 points at 2,613. A look at the weather. It's mainly fine. Warm during the day with a maximum temperature of tw uh, 30, 24 degrees. Current temperature is 19 degrees and the relative humidity is at 85%. And now the news with Barry O'Rourke. As many as 200 million voters will go to the polls in Indonesia today as the world's third largest democracy selects a new president. Defence Minister Prabowo Subianto is the clear favourite. Two former provincial governors are also in contention to succeed Joko Widodo. RTHK's Southeast Asia correspondent Luke Hunt says Mr Prabowo's best hope is to win a majority and avoid a runoff in June. There's an awful lot of variables in this equation, which is, you know, we've come to expect from Indonesia and forecasting who will win this one is, uh, you know, good luck with that. But uh, if Prabowo is to win, I think he really has to get more than 50% of the vote. It can't be 48 or 49%. Uh, it really has to be more than 50% and avoid the runoff. The UN humanitarian coordinator Martin Griffiths has said an Israeli ground offensive in Gaza's southernmost city of Rafah could lead to a slaughter. He said a major military operation could put the fragile humanitarian effort to help the displaced Palestinians seeking refuge there at death's door. The spokesman for the UN Secretary General, Stefan Dujaric, echoed his concern. You have now 
over a million human beings crammed into Rafah under extremely challenging situation, including with fighting going on around them. Any military operation in Rafah would be catastrophic, to say the least. The US, Qatar, Egypt and Israel have been talking in Cairo to try to nail down a ceasefire deal acceptable to both Israel and Hamas. A report has found that the war in Ukraine and other international conflicts have driven global defence spending to new highs. The International Institute for Strategic Studies said spending rose 9% to 2.2 trillion US dollars last year. Two major political parties in Pakistan say they're forming a new coalition government after an election last week failed to produce a decisive winner. The Pakistan Muslim League of former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif said his brother Shehbaz will be the candidate to head the government with the support of the Pakistan People's Party. Independent candidates backed by another former Prime Minister Imran Khan are also trying to form a government as part of the MWM party. The PPP's leader is Bilawal Bhutto. It'll be my effort uh, within Parliament, as I don't have a mandate to form my own government, to fight for political stability and uh, make an effort that better sense prevails and that both political parties, whether it is the now MWM in Parliament or Muslim Nawaz or other political parties, so it'll be my constant effort to convince all sides that politics should remain within a democratic space New figures show consumer prices in the United States rose last month at the slowest pace since June. The annual inflation rate has fallen to 3.1% from its peak of more than 9% in 2022. But the BBC's Michelle Fleury says the results make it more difficult for the US central bank to cut interest rates. The problem we have right now is that many economists had been forecasting an even lower figure for inflation for the consumer price index, which is kind of a measure of goods that consumers pay for and services as well. And that higher than expected report or data print suggests that inflation is more stubborn than previously expected. And as a result of that, if you look at what's happening on Wall Street, stocks are in the red because investors are betting that all of this means America's central bank will end up keeping rates higher for longer. Locally, restaurant bosses have told RTHK they're expecting a relatively subdued Valentine's Day tonight. Some said that customers were tightening their belts, while others said the proximity to Lunar New Year was one reason for slowing bookings. James Robertson, who owns the Italian restaurant chain Grappas, says bookings are down three quarters from last year. Lots of people going to send gym. You get a lot more bang for the buck. Secondly, uh, this year the Valentine's Day falls on fifth day of CNY. A lot of companies, they don't just turn around and come back at uh, fifth day and a lot stay back and take off the whole week. So I think there'll be a lot of people that will not be coming out just because it's kind of still the holiday time. However, the head of another catering group said three restaurants near Victoria Harbour are booked up tonight. In sport, Hong Kong's Siobhan Horhe has claimed the bronze medal in the 100 metres breaststroke at the World Championships. Horhe told media in Doha that she only joined the race for fun. China's Tang Tianting won gold. Horhe also qualified second fastest for tonight's 200 metres freestyle final. We'll have more news on the hour from RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3.
In a few minutes, Carolyn Wright will be joined by Liam Thomas, country head at Sleek, to find out whether the Year of the Dragon is a wise time to set up or change your business. And to close the show, we'll have a view from Singapore with Singapore-based author and financial commentator Michael Switow. But first, US consumer prices rose more than expected in January amid a surge in the cost of rental housing. Index provider MSCI is cutting dozens of Chinese companies from its global benchmarks. Bitcoin hit the 50,000 level for the first time in more than two years. Global investors are at their most bullish in two years this month and no longer expect a recession. Valentine's Day is a big selling point for chocolate makers, but you might have noticed that the prices have gone up, and that's because cocoa has been skyrocketing recently. The BBC's Davina Gupta speaks to Clay Gordon, the technical editor at International Confectionery Magazine, asking how high the prices really are. The current price is um, nearly $6,000 per metric ton, and that is up over 128% from um, a year ago. Now, these seem like historical highs, but if we go back to the 1970s, which is the last time we saw these prices, if you look at it on an adjusted for inflation basis, instead of a constant dollar basis, then we're still way below historic highs on the prices of cocoa. Nonetheless, it is a shock Mm. to the system. But what's behind it then? Well, I mean, so people are, we're now in the third year of short harvests, which can be attributable to climate change in general. But more specifically, there is this weather phenomenon called El Nino, um, and it has come in and it has uh, exacerbated the challenges that have been seen with respect to dry conditions and reduced waterfall over the last couple of years. So climate change and El Nino are two of the major reasons Mm -hmm. why um, um, the world's largest producer, which is the Ivory Coast, is uh, is showing a record shortfall in production. And then for consumers like you and me, those of us who love buying chocolates, uh, what does this mean? For how long do you think the shortage is going to last and will impact prices? Well, no one knows how long this skyrocketing price is going to remain at the levels that there are. I mean, you can look at it sort of like the cost of gasoline. So when the cost of petrol goes up, when the cost of oil goes up, the cost of petrol goes up very, very quickly, right? But when the cost of oil goes down, the cost of petrol goes down as well, but much more slowly. So we'll see some trailing edge effects, but if it's a year or two years, we have to see what the hard harvest looks like next year. I mean, the Ivory Coast has already um, um, halted next season sales. I mean, because nobody knows what's going on. And it is difficult for global companies, isn't it? Because uh, companies like Hershey, uh, they have started planning job cuts as they battle higher cocoa prices and sluggish sales then. When you think about it, if I'm a big industrial producer, one of the things I've done is I've been able to wring out all the costs in manufacturing. And so um, I'm very, very sensitive. The company is very, very sensitive to changes in the cost of ingredients. And so one of the things that these companies can do to rein in costs is to um, fire staff. 
And that's what they're looking at, is that this is one of the few um, avenues that's open to them. They're not going to reduce their marketing budgets. They're not going to reduce their new product development budgets. They're going to control what is under control, which is which is labor costs. But are you Unfortunate. But are you also seeing shortage of chocolates, for example, especially in popular seasons like Valentine's Day? Well, short, so what is going to happen is traditionally um, what makers have done is is um, engaged in a process which is called shrinkflation. So your money buys you a smaller bar of chocolate. So instead of it being 50 grams, it's now 35 grams. And so we're seeing those um, kinds of um, techniques being employed. But also what's happening is you're saying, you know, are, can we use more sugar? Can we use more milk? Can we use more ingredients that are in fact lower cost ingredients, nuts, for example? money today carolyn wright asks if the year of the dragon is an auspicious one for new businesses good morning carolyn good morning well today is the first money talk show for the year of the dragon so in your money we're going to take a look at whether it could be an auspicious year for you to start a business i'm joined again by liam thomas who is country head here at sleek to find out thank you for coming in again Liam. yeah morning morning caroline thank you so much for having me uh, it's an absolute pleasure and, and happy Year of the Dragon. Oh, I, I'm very excited to hear what you can tell us about whether it's a good time to, to start business. So this year, very specifically, is the Year of the Wood Dragon. That's correct. So what does a wood dragon symbolise for business? Yes, yeah, so I just want to preface this by saying that I'm certainly not a feng shui sifu or a feng shui master, as they mm-hmm. call them in Hong Kong. So uh, it's just a bit of fun that Sleek put together this year on looking at, based on the, the year of the wood dragon and based on uh, individuals in Hong Kong and which year they were born in and which zodiac animal they are, whether or not it was a good year to start a business. So for this year, so Year of the Wood Dragon, in Feng Shui, you'd split out the element from the animals. So the wood aspect is separate from the dragon aspect. And wood represents humanity's desire to strive, progress, flourish and extend. So we think that that relates to being a really positive year for setting up something new and, and building something like a business that, that's brand new. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as dragons, individuals born in, the, in this year thought to embody uh, those dragon-like qualities. So uh, leadership, charm, limitless enthusiasm. Uh, I'm not born in the year of the dragon, unfortunately, but uh, if you are, then I can really respect you for that. So, yeah, what we see is that in line with that, We think it's a really good year to start businesses in industries that are expected to see exciting changes that embody the dragon spirit. Well, it sounds like it's a very entrepreneurial sort of a spirit, to be quite frank. Exactly, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is it also a good time to make changes to your business, not necessarily start up a new business? But what what are the signs there, do you reckon? Is, does it look good if you want to, you know, have some kind of new endeavours? Yeah, exactly. So what we're seeing at the moment is that there's the, the feng shui aspect, but there's the reality. Yeah? So I think from what I understand, again, the dragon spirit is one that sort of, it does embrace change and I think in markets at the moment, there's a lot of things around digital technology, robotics, and AI, 
where we'll see a lot of change to existing businesses this year. I'm not sure if, if you've done uh, much work on AI at the moment or interviewed anyone to do with AI. but It's all we've been able to talk about in the last year, Liam. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. So I think there's a real crossover there. I think anyone, like particularly with Sleek and in our business, we're really looking to embrace large language models and AI and how we interact with customers, how we help customers make decisions around businesses and answer technical questions. So I think if you're a company this year and you're thinking about embodying that dragon spirit and definitely looking at how you can digitally transform your business and make it more efficient, embrace AI and take that on board is probably going to be a really useful thing for you to do. Fabulous, fabulous. So let's take a dive now into the, the specific sectors. Obviously, there you're talking about change. But what sectors do you think could benefit in this wood dragon year where you're sort of looking at the, the elements in the animal? Yeah, sure. So I was at a uh, Asian luncheon earlier. So I think it's a really timely question. And that brought together a lot of industry bodies in Hong Kong. So the Trade and Development Council, uh, Invest Hong Kong, and the ASEAN government body that's obviously bringing together all the Asian countries and helping them to collaborate. And the number one piece, the number one industry for Hong Kong, which I think relates really well to the wood dragon spirit, is green technology and, and, and green tech consulting. So a lot of Asian countries now are adopting zero carbon emissions policies. And there's a very big difference between different markets in the level of understanding in, let's say, the construction industry. So the knowledge base in somewhere like Singapore for how you build a building and make it zero carbon versus, let's say, in Cambodia may be very different. So we're seeing a lot of opportunities this year to support the environment, and the government in Hong Kong is very much driving that. So if you're in green tech, if you're in consulting, for example, if you work for a large consulting firm, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to go out on your own, embrace the spirit of the wood dragon, build something new, uh, and focus on that as a key sector. And you know what? I think I've heard stories saying that there's a lot of talent needed in that sector, that there aren't people necessarily with the skills. So maybe it's time to also brush up on your knowledge about all things green and climate change Definitely. related. Definitely. So let's have a bit of a fun look now. On, sure. on, on For each of us personally, I think most <laughs> of us know what our zodiac animal is. Yeah. So... What are they telling us about starting a business this year? Which of those animals is more likely to be successful and which of people should maybe hold off for a year <laughs> or two? Sure. Well, I very respectfully asked you which year uh, Zodiac Animal obviously yourself were without going into the specific year. So yeah. I understand that, that you're from the year of the snake. I am. Um, and this year... Snakes are celebrated for their wisdom and strategic thinking, so I don't know if you feel that that relates to yourself. <laughs> I don't know how wise <laughs> I am. <laughs> but yeah, so in 2024, so I think wisdom and strategic thinking, and we believe that, that that's going to be especially beneficial in making calculated business decisions. Usually they have strong intuition and insight, which will guide you to identify and seize the right opportunities. So we think that this year is, is ideal for snakes looking to make a significant impact. Um, so Fabulous. Well, that, that sounds, sounds good for me. Are you willing to admit what, what animal you are? I am, yes. <laughs> so I'm an ox, so we're, we're the epitome of hard work and determination, apparently, <laughs> the traits that are very beneficial. But um, 
this year we're seeing it's a bit more of a steady approach and reliability is is really important. So maybe if you are a year of the rocks like me, it's more about consolidating, you know, sticking to what you're doing at the moment, making the most of what you've got as opposed to branching out and trying something brand, brand new. But if you are doing that, then please don't let us stop us again. I want to qualify it. I'm it's not, all a bit of fun. I'm not a feng shui expert. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> so is, are there any other zodiac animals that you would uh, 